<sighs> Ooh. I'm Morgan. And I'm Isabeau. And this is Womance. A podcast about romance novels. About revolutions. About intimate looks between enemies. Same-sex encounters even heteros can appreciate. Cravats. Fandoms. And musicals. And fandoms. <laughs> and fan fiction. But mostly, it's about romance novels. And uh, ourselves. This, and ourselves. And our convoluted orgasm metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> On this week's episode, we will be discussing fan fiction, which we have talked about and talked around and talked adjacent to on this podcast many times. For those of you that don't know, the incredible and wonderful Morgan did extensive work on fan fiction and what it means to fandoms and how we interact with it. I've, of course, like many people of our generation, been reading fan fiction from a tender age. It felt really good when I decided that I was old enough for lemons and... Um, That probably happened a lot younger than it should have, maybe. But I learned a lot. I mean, my eyes were wide open, peeled open, in fact. So a lemon is a sexually explicit work of fanfic, for those of you who don't know. How old were you? I love the idea that you decided for yourself that you were old enough for a lemon. How old were you? I was 15. That is plenty old for a lemon. I mean, the lemon that I jumped into, like basically a tentacle porn which like i i can honestly say i was a very sheltered person at 15 uh-huh. um and like hadn't you know envisioned that sex could happen except like one of three ways and like fan <laughs> jumping right into tentacle porn pirates of the caribbean fandom what was the fandom? Davy Jones. what was the fan oh it was uh was it a pirates of the caribbean sure was that Davy makes Jones. sense actually yeah, the cunnilingus <laughs> with tentacles. Let me tell you what. It Ooh. like really set the bar for me. What it, okay, okay, so lingus is tongue. Mm-hmm. Kana is, I guess, cunny. Mm-hmm. So it would be kind of tentaculous. Ingus. Con- I don't know what it was. It was just hot <laughs> and like horrifying at once. And like, I didn't need a name for it. We don't have to categorize everything. It was just like tentacle porn that was exclusively oral and like tender. <laughs> Davy Jones is tender. Like people don't get that oh, about that's him. That's the thing about Davy Jones is that his tentacles are all right around his mouth, right around his exactly. face and his beard. Yeah, it's right. complicated. Yep. Yep. You yep. know, tentacle porn has been around for a really long time. That's an mm-hmm. interesting thing to think about. And do you know, if I am forced to think about it, mm-hmm. as I was, because it's something you do get confronted with if you study fantasy fiction <laughs> indeed and like what is the universal appeal and i think it's like people like to be touched and if some yeah. and if a creature of some sort has a lot of tentacles basically like so many penises like finger penises though like mm-hmm. very sensitive interesting mm-hmm. textured penises mm-hmm. and they're touching mm-hmm. you all over that sounds mm-hmm. nice it sounds it like does. it's like you are being adored in the way you've always wanted to adore someone and the way mm-hmm. you've always wanted to be adored which is overwhelming constant surround I think it's that where it's like especially in romance novels people talk about that overwhelming sense of sensation where it's like but yeah. it's usually from the inside out it's like the way in which an orgasm works on your body you feel it everywhere all at once and this is outside in, which is one of the things that I think is mm, that's so appealing. fascinating. Yes. 
I mean, the let idea me tell you of what, outside in. Yeah, I mean, tentacle porn. It's a thing. Also, Davy Jones. He was so tender. He like actively was asking for Elizabeth Swan's consent, and she felt Elizabeth. really bad about cheating on <laughs> <laughs> Will Turner. I don't but know you know, who I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> I told you at the time, I was very, I was, I was not imaginative. I was really only envisioning hetero couples because you know yeah. that that's my particular thing. But your tipple of Elizabeth choice, Elizabeth Swan. It is my tipple of choice. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you know, and I also think tentacle porn has become this type, you know, like if you're going to talk about some kind of weird sexuality, but it that kind of begs the question, like how do you define a weird sexuality? Because multiple cultures, multiple centuries, multiple sexual preferences have had this fantasy of tentacles. It's shorthand for like a particular kind of fetish, but it also has like cultural connotations, like specifically non-Western. Yeah. Um, oh yes, of course. Yeah. You can't really like, yeah. Yeah. And so like, I think in that way, like it comes up in like places like Slate or like the New York Times in a way that's like a less cunning put down where it's like oh and then the incels and their tentacle porn and yeah it's like, no that's not what it is and you're being stupid yeah um, quit disparaging so. I mean it sounds crazy to say because <laughs> it, it does feel very like bestiality but quit disparaging tentacle porn by associating it with incels totally like fucking leave it alone man it's just trying to do its leave thing tentacle porn alone <laughs> It's not hurting anyone. <laughs> I'm watching tentacle porn right now. <laughs> Just a, <laughs> a little suction cup. It's just soft. It's like I was in a, I was at a impressionable age when I first saw one of those squids, those little sticky squids you could get at the roller mm-hmm. rink from the quarter machine, <laughs> flip flop its way down the glass, and I said. Oh, to be the glass of a roller rink window. (laughs) Oh my God. Anyways, we're talking about fiction based on the movie musical 1776. Why, you ask, dear listener? Because Isabeau is deeply obsessed with the 4th of July and America's birthday. I think everyone is allowed to be deeply invested in one ancillary holiday. Thank you. I, and you know, I get it. And I know that you feel the, particularly complicated about your relationship to the 4th of July right now. I do. So if you would kindly indulge me as I try to explain and work through my obsessive love for America's birthday, especially in the context of the past few weeks and this administration in particular, um, it's, it's, it has been difficult. And like the thing I love most about the 4th of July is that it is America's birthday and I'm obsessed with birthdays. I think birthdays are great. And the great thing about the 4th of July is that it's the same birthday every year with the same theme. I don't have to like come up with something cool. <laughs> I like have the accessories. It is a string with an American flag printed on it. And I drink, you know, I buy my PBR, I get my hot dog, I go see some fireworks and like I get all jazzed up on the stars and stripes and it feels good. And I've always had a particular love of the 4th of July. We had 4th of July parties when I was a kid. We went to this thing in Madison in Wisconsin called Rhythm and Booms. It was like a really big deal and it's only sort of become more strange and more obsessive in my adulthood as I discovered 1776 and (laughs) could then marry my love of musicals, history, and America. And in that context, 
like this particular administration, but also America at large. I do earnestly and truly believe in America's foundational promise. And I think it's hard to believe in that promise now. And it's always been hard, much harder for other kinds of people always, right? Like the process of America becoming its foundational promise of all men are created equal is that it's work. It is the question of striving and reaching that we've talked about before to make that promise true for everyone. And, you know, 1776, it's such a good musical. It's such a good encapsulation of both the earnestness that is America's promise. Like, America's a cheeseball place. It's always been kind of cheeseball, and the way that we feel about it is cheeseball, which also very much appeals to me. I'm interested in this question of cheeseball. Can we put a pen in it and come back to it later? Of course we can. I would love to come back and talk about cheeseball. But so every year for the 4th of July, I watch. Independence Day with uh, Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum and Bill Pullman. And every fuck year Mary I tear Kill. up. <laughs> uh, obviously, fuck Will Smith. Oh no, I don't want to kill any of no, them. No, hold up. I want to marry oh, Will Smith. Oh, I want to fuck Jeff okay. Goldblum every day until I Jeff. die. Yep, me too. And kill Bill Pullman. I don't want to kill Bill Pullman. Bye, though. Bill. God, he, you know, he owns a bee farm in California. <laughs> What's that? Just saving bees. There's a specific word for a bee farm. Yes, there is. An apiary. An apiary. He's an apiarist or an apiist? Apiarist. I don't know what it is. He's a Bill Pullman. Right. And I tear up every time he delivers that amazing speech and he, you know, exhorts the entire globe to say yeah. that the 4th of July is our Independence Day. And like that feels like keeping America's foundational promise. And I watch 1776 every year because I love Mr. Feeney. As John Adams. Um, also, if you've never watched John Adams, the HBO miniseries, it's very good. Or do you like Mr. Feeney better than Paul Giamatti? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I mean, I think Paul Giamatti is a better actor than Mr. Feeney. Sorry, Paul. Shots fired. <laughs> but like, I don't want to fuck Paul Giamatti's voice or face. <laughs> oh, but you do, Mr. Feeney? Specifically, 1776 Mr. Feeney. I, no other Mr. Feeney, just that one. I re-watched on YouTube, Sit Down John. It's so good. But the way he says, like, vote yes, mm-hmm. it took me, like, three verses to realize that's what he was saying because he was so fucking glam rock, like, just, like, playing with his, with the space of his voice it was wild it was a fucking wild way to say vote yes uh also he's like deep into his like fake bostonian accent which i don't think is correct but like whatever mr feeney i'm not paying you for your acting harvard yard (laughs) 76 it's so nasally Um, i think that's just how he talks he sounded exactly like mr feeney to me he's not as good an actor as paul giamatti but like what paul giamatti lacks that mr feeney has is like that je ne sais quoi that like animal magnetism Dude, I, don't know what I would is. much rather Paul Giamatti than Mr. Feeney. I just don't think you've seen 1776 enough times. I think Mr. Feeney has a small face. <laughs> he does indeed have a small face. You're right. Paul Giamatti he also doesn't like have a, a large puggle. face. <laughs> Paul Giamatti could also be described this way. Mi- Paul Giamatti looks like an English bulldog, while <laughs> Mr. Feeney looks like a puggle. You know what I mean with their little faces? I understand why you're parsing the breeds, and I and I think that's a fair assessment. And it's also of both the, of their small faces, yeah, small faces and small statures. 
I just think that Mr. Feeney has a bigger dick. Whoa. At least like his vocal cords. If his vocal cords are his dick, he has a bigger dick. If his vocal cords are his dick, his dick is hard to understand. <laughs> just like all dicks. <laughs> what are you doing over there? <laughs> Why are you doing that? What in the world? <laughs> Have you become sentient? <laughs> Now. Why is it dressing itself? What? Where did that little lobster eating bib come from? <laughs> oh my god. Uh, so good. Anyway, <laughs> 1776. The first time I saw it, I was 15, which was actually the summer that I discovered tentacle porn, as now I think about it. Holy shit. Um, Significant. It was a big summer. It was a big summer. I learned a lot about myself. I spent most of my time indoors. <laughs> it kind of did. You don't um. discover 1776 and tentacle porn in the same summer that you like win the softball championships and beat the summer camp across the lake. You know what I mean? Like, those both require extensive indoor kidness. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> okay. So you just... I just I discovered them in different places. I want that noted. Um, <laughs> one was my grandma's basement and the other was in my history class. <laughs> I was actually babysitting uh, when I discovered 1776. The parents, who I love very much of these children, love musicals. They go to New York every year to go see musicals and they're like, oh, you know, it's the 4th of July. Have you ever seen 1776? And I was like, no, what the hell is this? And they were like, oh my God, when the kids go to bed, sit down and watch this and then like, we'll come back and talk about it. And so the kids went to bed. I watched 1776. They came back. I talked about it. I gushed about it. And then since I was helping out over the whole weekend, I ended up watching it like four more times. And then Luke was solidly obsessed um, with 1776. And there was wow. no turning back from that point. And, um, and was and was John Adams your OTP, your one true pairing with yourself? No. In fact, I found him really terrible to start with. Oh. I um, was deeply and perhaps tragically in love with Thomas Jefferson. Oh, because, no. But of course. Yes. But of course. Yes. He's a six foot three ginger who is has the most beautiful baritone in the entire world. And he like flexes it into a tenor and it's just enlightening, frankly. And Blythe Danner plays Martha Jefferson and she's absolutely gorgeous at like 19 and effervescent. She like looks like the best kind of LaCroix. I just, she is everything what about every 15 year old girl dreams she'll look like at night. Right. And of course, like was never going to be me. No. Or literally no. anyone other than Blythe Danner. Yeah. Or her daughter, Gwyneth Paltrow. Goop. <laughs> Goop. Maybe Gwyneth Paltrow also got into tentacle porn, and maybe Goop is a veiled reference. <laughs> I want that to be true so bad. I can't even tell you. Yeah. Anyway, so I only came to my love of John Adams later as like I began to think about the things about 1776 that I thought were great, but also sort of problematic. Thomas Jefferson being chief among them. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But one of the things that I think 1776 really gets right and one of the things that I loved immediately about it in that hot, crazy summer was there's this terrible song in it. It's wonderful, terrible. It's called Molasses to Rum to 
slaves. And it's sung by Edward Rutledge, who is the person from South Carolina who's going to hold up the Declaration of Independence because Thomas Jefferson has written a clause to free all human beings from chattel slavery in the Americas. And he's like, no. And Thomas Jefferson's like, it's appalling. And then Rutledge is like, you own slaves. And the film and the musical treat this with all earnestness, which I think is really great. And Jefferson and Adams and Franklin cave to the Southern delegates because it has to be unanimous to sign the Declaration of Independence. And Jefferson is a Southern delegate. Certainly. But he likes to say that he's different and he says in the show. And everyone else in America, whenever we look back on history, we like to say Thomas Jefferson was different. Right, because he said that he'd free his slaves and, you know. But then he didn't. Didn't. Right. I mean, he did in his will, but his debts weren't paid. And then, of course, what happens when people are treated as chattel slavery? You use them to pay debts. Yeah. And like, yeah, Thomas Jefferson's egregious and always has been. And the way that this film treats him and his capitulation, I think, is really surprisingly deft. And that entire song is really good because it also calls into question Massachusetts. And one of the things that John Adams is so annoying about is that he sees himself so above this question of slavery. He's like a staunch abolitionist and he's constantly calling into question the South and like their feelings about freedom. Like, because what does freedom really mean if you're holding people in bondage? And he's right. And then Rutledge is like, who builds the ships? Who profits? Who sends? It's like the ships are coming out of Boston. And it's it's really powerful. And I think it's like one of those moments where a film and a musical really took America to task. And like, that's one of the things about the 4th of July that we don't do enough. Mm-hmm. America's promise is yet unfulfilled. Well, I, you know, I, I don't want to be too flippant about this, but I, I do see parallels in mm-hmm. like fan fiction in general because mm-hmm. a, a great deal of fan fiction, or at least the, the fan fiction I'm interested in or was interested in academically is fan fiction that's trying to reconcile an object that is much beloved but also complicated and trying to kind of smooth out the complications or barrel through them in a way that is pleasurable. I agree. I think that's one of the things that really drives people to fan fiction, both as writers and readers. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where it's like you want to love something but you can't because it's complicated and then fan fiction can set it not right but at least a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, I do want to say there there is fan fiction out there. In fact, some of the pieces we will be discussing this very Indeed. evening that are pure pleasure, that aren't calling into any <laughs> critical sure. question the work that they are dealing with or in conversation with or reactionary to, however you want to think about it. But I, I, I think fandom and, you know, what is, like, I think, first of all, fan fiction today is so closely tied with romance Landia, mm-hmm. that it just makes perfect, beautiful sense that we discuss it. Although not every fan fiction has a happily ever after and doesn't hew to a whole lot of directives beyond being based on an existing work. Mm-hmm. But I still feel like this politic of pleasure, the same kind of politic of pleasure is at work in romance and fan fiction. Frankly, I think it, it animates from the same place, yeah. right? Like, like the, what's the thing that brings you back to a genre, any genre, romance in particular, but yeah. any genre yeah. that's formulaic, that has a set of rules, that has like a set of scaffolding that you recognize. Yes. And all romances conform to it. You know, genre, other 
thrillers like sci-fi also do this but also fandoms right mm-hmm. like fan fiction hues either like it says right away either it's canon or non-canon which tells you how closely it's going to hue to the original work it's working on those same pillars where it's like sure it's not formulaic because there can't be any one sort of formula for fan fiction but is kind of formulaic in the sense that it, it's starting from a square that we all recognize and like we have to know the players and the pieces to and, yeah to enjoy yeah. it mm-hmm. and I think romance does that too it's just different you know yeah I, I don't want to get too far off because I think this is probably a question for off air but you know there's something about fan fiction and romance that it is immediately recognizable in all of its weird slippery forms you know a fan mm-hmm. fiction in particular is slippery because there was never a publisher of fan fiction who created a list of rules you know an illiteral list of rules that have come to define the genre but I, I think science fiction as a genre which is kind of the genre fiction that people return mm-hmm. to or even horror it's so open to debate you know what foot fits into that shoe yeah I mean I totally agree also the fact that like you know for a long time trademark publishers were publishing fan fiction in the sense of like licensed storylines for both Star Wars and Star Trek and continue like, to do so yeah so like I think in the same way that like people are dismissive of the 4th of July and fan fiction and romance I think like all of these things that people love are dismissed in like a similar sort of out of hand place which brings us back to tentacle porn like it's not hurting you why are you this dismissive yeah lots of people like it maybe you should investigate it a little bit and take it on its terms I mean I think everyone like I said at the beginning is entitled to love one ancillary holiday regardless of its complications for me that holiday is Valentine's Day oh because I didn't know you felt that way about Valentine's Day I love Valentine's Day but I love Valentine's Day under the weight of understanding that it is capitalist propaganda based on the need to reproduce and not feel alone and I hate Valentine's Day because I hate the idea of people who feel alone and abandoned on Valentine's Day but I Mm -hmm. love the fact that there is a day that is about my two favorite colors pink and red (laughs) and I love that there is a day about hearts and that there is a day Mm -hmm. about sharing something special with your loved ones and and remembering Mm -hmm. and I do encourage if, if you consider yourself a Valentine hater to Mm -hmm. maybe reconsider how you think about Valentine's Day as centering around romantic love. Mm -hmm. I agree. And a great deal of Valentine's Day whenever I was growing up that I loved so much is that I got to create my own Valentine and then Mm -hmm. I had to craft one for every single kid in my class. That was my mom's Mm -hmm. rule. And I always got the most Valentines because I always gave the most Valentines. Yep. You get what you get. That's an important thing about Valentine's day that almost rectifies (laughs) that almost rectifies the problematicness of it i hear that you know that's or at least as a solve to that burn. Yeah, and I think <laughs> that like, that's one of the things. That's one of the things that like we all have to do to enjoy the things that we find pleasurable that are also complicated. And like that's why, especially under the shadow of like this administration, I really appreciate that you're indulging me with a series about the Fourth of July themed romance shit because like we're marrying two of my things and I love it. And I really, you know, every time I see fireworks and I hear that fucking stars and stripes, I get teared up. It works on you. I find it severely affecting. Yeah. Yeah. 
I feel the same way about Valentine's Day. That one, you know, card you get, the one person yeah. who remembers to send you flowers. Yeah. That one little extra special touch. Forget it. I'm done for. For a long time, it was just my mom, but... <laughs> but that's still so special. It was. I loved waking up as a kid on Valentine's Day yeah. to see what my mom had gotten me. And knowing yeah. that, feeling that love. Yeah. Feeling that appreciation. Especially on a dark Tuesday in February. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's such a little, it's such a little sliver of warmth in the in the cold, dark winter. God, I love Valentine's Day. This isn't about Valentine's <laughs> Day, though. Okay, so you've given us a pretty great overview of 1776, the movie Thank musical you. from 1972, uh, which was written by a history teacher who is for our bicentennial. Speaking of fan fiction and speaking of Mary Sue's, I would not be surprised if this history professor wasn't way over identifying with John Adams. <laughs> uh, clearly, like, <laughs> fuck yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm, get out of town with that. Get out of here. So, a Mary Sue is a character in fan fiction who is clearly a proxy for the author and is mm-hmm. living this fantasy existence of the author, wherein the characters that they love and admire love and admire them. It's based yeah. on a on a character that appeared in a pretty hilarious Star Trek zine, skewering <laughs> a particular type of fan fiction. This writer was tired of reading about. That's awesome. Other notable, I, I mean, Steve Larson's Girl with the Dragon Tattoos, I feel like are very intense Mary yeah. Sue work. Indeed. All right. So the first uh, fanfic that we are going to talk about is mm-hmm. on Archive of Our Own. There are two major fandom websites and we are going to read pieces from both. And Archive of Our Own definitely is the home of most mm-hmm. of the works we're going to talk about. This work is called Conduct mm-hmm. By the Great Gay Jatsby. It's such a good <laughs> <laughs> Such a good name. I want to talk about tags. Additional tags are a space on Archive of Our Own where people can kind of mm-hmm. classify their own stories. And a lot of times people use existing mm-hmm. tags that are easily searchable. For example, established relationship is used mm-hmm. here. Canon era, which means they're not putting the work mm-hmm. backward or forward in time. Implied sexual content means that you can read it without... Right. <laughs> it's not a lemon. Is there a word for like is it like a uh, lime you know I, I don't know what it's called I don't think it's a lime could be a lemonade a lemonade it's, just, it's like the denouement of a lemon so like a squeezed lemon as yeah. it were yeah yeah voyeurism so if anybody's interested in that they can they can search voyeurism but then there's also like these custom tags like I love poor that custom John tag. I think it says so much about both where this writer's head is at and how much they feel about this particular fandom and this particular character I, I think know. it's like really nice it's really short the great gay Jatsby is probably over-identifying with John Adams, just like the writer of yeah. 1776 I think that's was. fair. I mean, yeah. This story has been around since 2016. It is a mere 559 mm-hmm. words long. It only has one comment, 25 kudos, and 324 Hopefully hits. we can beef that up for the great gay Jatsby. Me I hope that. Yeah, I also hope that. It's super good. I'm like, one good. of the things that I love about fan fiction is that you get like a summary which is essentially like the back cover of a book and like you know exactly and writing a summary is like a key aspect of being a good fan fiction writer so this summary John Adams only wanted to collect political documents from John Dickinson meeting him at his apartment was convenient seeing Edward Rutledge lounging in Dickinson's bed was not that's so great 
And now I know it's perfect. And now I would like <laughs> to read the notes section. Notes are gen- in general more in the author's own voice. And it says, mm-hmm. it's all lowercase. Honestly, Edward's like, John, you can sit down on my dick, LMAO, because in the form of BC, it's clever, not because BC. He's a top so in any way, shape, or form. Isabel, I would say that you are the summary <laughs> to my notes. You know, I think that's right. <laughs> I think you're you're definitely, you know, much more hip on the lingo and like, you know, just cooler than I am. That's notes to summary. I think you are a much more eloquent, clearly put individual. And I am just a word I love, of personal I love it feeling. On my dick, LMAO, BC, it's clever, not BC, he's, literally no apostrophe, a top in any way, shape, or form. Uh, no, no punctuation. Absolutely not. Fucking forget it. Punctuation is for squares. AKA Get out of here. Um, This is actually like, I feel like sex sexiest part for me is this I think this for me was um the sexiest story now we're going to talk about a story Mm -hmm. that's way more sexually explicit and certainly erotic and arousing but for Mm -hmm. me this was the sexiest yeah I mean I think what's great about this sex is both anticipation and implication all of this in like the steamy heat of the atmosphere like this 559 words is pulling no punches about how hot it is about where it is about how the bed clothes they're tussled like and that's what's so great about it and like one of the things that I really love about this little story is that it's so inside of John Adams character and his fastidiousness and like his true like uncomfortable insecure not quite prudishness but like his ability to be scandalized like there's something about John Adams that is profoundly like nerdy and uncool and I think this story really like sees that capitalizes on it and then exposes it in this like particularly like funny and sweet way. You know, you are a fan of the original work or the canon and you are able to see like this is true to character. This is true to canon. You know, usually in in fan fiction, like, yeah, like people Mm -hmm. fuck who wouldn't otherwise fuck. But like, I think that rings true about this, which is what I agree. Like there's this part where like, so John Adams has just gone to John Dickinson, who's basically holding up the Declaration of Independence because he doesn't want to break with England and blah, blah, blah. And and he goes over there to get documents and then he sees a body in the bed, but he only sees the back of the head. And we have to remember in this particular Georgian era, men had very long hair and Edward Rutledge doesn't wear a wig because yeah. he's so proud of his luscious mane. So he, like Adams doesn't know <laughs> that the body in the bed isn't a woman. So he says, sir, Adams began the moment the door clicked shut. I find it highly inappropriate that you would invite me into your chambers regardless of the honor of that woman. Dickinson appraised Adams briefly, one brow raised minutely above the other, then snorted pointedly. Woman, he drawled, a smirk alighting on his lips. Adam's eyes were drawn to the harsh red marks peeking just over the lip of Dickinson's cravat painted there on the southerner's skin. He swallowed a little. Good God. Just like, right, which is so perfect. Like That's, that's one of the things that... It is well-deserved. It's yeah. well-earned. It's beautifully placed. It's 
exquisite. Mm -hmm. I want to read this part. He couldn't help but notice the way Rutledge's Mm -hmm. hand lingered just a moment Mm -hmm. too long on Dickinson's elbow. How he pulled away from their private conversation. His lips grazed Dickinson's ear. He also couldn't help but notice that when Rutledge turned and made his way back into Dickinson's apartment, he trod with a pronounced limp. I love that. This like subtlety that leads up to this very, very, very uh, graphic implication. I thought it was so good. And it like felt super fucking earned, which was, and also surprising. So like having something that's surprisingly earned is so good. Like this is just a perfect little, this is really a perfect fanfic. Yeah, it really is. And it's 550. You know, I think that speaks to something critical about fan fiction, which is that this is like Mm -hmm. amateur hour, you know, (laughs) like this is a wonderful place where people can go whatever direction they want to. They can use and abuse existing works to their heart's content. But there are these like slices. And I would say actually today, more so than ever, it's not slices. It's the majority of work is just beautiful craftsmanship that we see in romance. I think that's one of the uh, things that's really in... Like, this is such an effective use of language and Yeah, and and I think, like, one of the things that's really funny that you and I talk about on the podcast sometimes is, like, how we can notice when an author is being indulgent with themselves when they, like, go on a tangent that doesn't serve the plot or they, like, really dive into, like, a setting. And I think, like, fan fiction is the epitome of that where it's, like, pure indulgence, but it's also a place to really hone Mm. a craft. I think that's one of the things that, like, if you read a lot of fan fiction, you watch writers become better writers and you watch people really play in a space that's safe and also rewarding, but also comes with a lot of feedback like and feedback that you don't have to pay for. And so suddenly you have what's one of the things that's about the millennials that we frankly don't get enough fucking credit for is that we are the most writerly generation ever. We write all the time. And just because we say LMAO or BC for because doesn't mean that we're not like emoting in a particular kind of way or like affecting in a particular kind of way. Like, And it also implies like a heightened level of creativity and a willingness to be bold and different and change things and break things and undo things, which is what fan fiction is all about. And what romance is all about because romance is standing on the shoulder on some pretty precarious shoulders and has been able to create it. Even like the precarious shoulders that I'm talking about, Kathleen Woody wise (laughs) looking right at you. Like they are weird and wonderful, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And pleasurable and indulgent. And they're like pleasurable for both writer and author. And I think like it's in that interplay. And like, again, we talk about this on the show a lot where it's like romance is a particularly responsive genre where it's like people say things, authors adapt when you're cranking out two or three novels a year like you just have to be and like fan fiction is also constantly aware of itself because of this like immediate and enormity of feedback and I think like that's one of the ways that like these two spaces it doesn't surprise me when I hear that like a romance author has come out of the ranks of fan fiction yeah I would be surprised if there were really prolific skilled writers who hadn't privately even tried their hand at fan fiction it's just ubiquitous okay uh let's move on to our next story because i think conduct unbecoming it totally is it's like perfect we really love it so much (laughs) it's a fan fiction we agree on everything (laughs) i know look it up on archive of our own please give it more kudos so let's move on to new girl on the blog yeah by justana also an archive of our own Mm -hmm. now this is an ff 
or female-female pairing of Abigail Adams and Martha Jefferson. And this is what is known as an AU or Mm -hmm. alternate universe fanfic. And that means that the characters are imagined in a world outside of their Mm -hmm. original canon world. Um, In this case, a modern day prison, Martha Jefferson, Blythe Danner. Full disclosure, this is basically Orange is the New Black, Piper, Red fan fiction masquerading as 1776 fan fiction. And I'm really curious as to like Like, fucking why. So unfortunately in 1776, there are only two women, Martha Jefferson and Abigail Adams. Adams. Abigail Adams only comes to us through letters, which all begin, dearest friend, and end, I am as I ever was, yours, 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 which is this beautiful refrain. It's like a fucking amazing love ballad. If you've never listened to 1776, give yourself a treat. Listen to it. I read Abigail Adams' letters, a collection of oh, her letters when so I was beautiful. in middle school. Yeah, you should really, I mean, she could give the great gay yeah, Gatsby run for their money. A brilliant tactician and beautiful writer. So there are only two women in the show is so expressive. expressive like she loves English I also want to make a point that people think of like this era mm-hmm. as very like staid and buttoned up and I think Abigail Adams letters demonstrate like mm-hmm. a sense of joy and and John's letters and, to her too and, yeah like he refers anyways, to her breasts all the time and like how much he loves them like it's it's hot they're oh, so hot yeah. together anyway in the musical Martha Jefferson has this one song that's really stupid about how Tom plays the fiddle Thomas Jefferson is stupid but she's just such an ingenue like there's absolutely no other word for her and like this particular fan fiction I think is like playing into that without capturing it in a way that feels good like this 100% it's like this is Orange is the New Black fan fiction put into the names of 1776 and it's like well then that's a failure on the canon yeah and there's also yeah. like a dildo involved I just feel like Abigail would use oh, her totally. mouth like, she yeah. dildo this one's summary is very short it says Martha is the new girl on the cell block and it is Mm -hmm. written for another user for the prompt other Mm -hmm. It also had a beta which means that somebody read it before they published it. Yeah. Yeah. Two people did in this case. Which didn't... I mean, listen to the the, the opening paragraph. The tall, slender blonde projected out her calm as she followed the guard to her new Mm -hmm. home for the foreseeable future. She'd heard stories about what life in prison was like and it was only strength of will that kept her from showing her stomach was tying itself in knots. They call each other Betsy mm-hmm. and Abby right away, and they both agree that they're actually Yeah, and she even straight. has this thing in italics where she's like, I'm sorry, Tom. And I'm like, whatever, dude. We all know what Tom's doing, and like, it's not you. Yeah, we just read about what yeah, Tom we'll was read. up to, or yeah, we will so read like, what Tom was up yeah, to. Yeah, whatever. I like, I, the thing about this is like, I want to really like FF fan fictions, especially about 1776, but like, Abigail is not fucking Martha Washington, or Martha Jefferson. She's not fucking Martha Washington either. If she was fucking someone, it would be another one. Well, yeah, Martha Washington's super cool, like, and way cooler than Martha Jefferson, but, like, either way. She talked about the night that uh, George Washington (laughs) jumped the bundle. Talked about how big his dick was. He was a big man in in all the ways that mattered. He was swinging hard. Founding father. (laughs) (laughs) Founding father. King George's is, like, probably dumb and shitty and ugly. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was literally crazy. Is that the right one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's also interesting that in the last fan fiction we read, they're still fetishizing the English. (laughs) 
I know. I'm so sick but of like, it. Find a hotter <laughs> accent. Is there one? Um, okay. The Let's move on, shall we? Never did rum smooth. Oh, yes. Oh, you're saving the fireworks for the end, you classic. I mean, Fourth you gotta save fan, it. You. you can't blow your wad early, otherwise, people ah. leave before the end. <laughs> The classic mistake of fireworks shows the world (laughs) over. Like, they fucking blow it five minutes before they even get to Stars and Stripes, okay? Like, fucking save it for the 1812 overture. Oh, my God. I'm worried we're overselling it. (laughs) We're not overselling it. (laughs) We're not overselling it. Hey, Womance listeners, Isabeau here. And if you love Womance and you love what we do, would you do me a huge favor and click subscribe on your favorite podcasting app? And if you have just that extra second, would you go ahead and give us a rating as well? Ratings and subscriptions help keep this podcast going, lets other people know where we are, lets other people in on the delicious secret that is Womance and Romance in general. And more than that, don't keep us a secret. Tell your friends, tell your mom, tell her about the juicy bits, but, you know, let her discover the details. Because romance and womance is all about discovery. Thanks for listening. We look forward to seeing you. Okay, so this is our second to last. Um, The Course of True Love Never Did Run Smooth by 1776 (laughs) is my life. The, okay, so so fanfiction.net is the hosting mm-hmm. website for this particular work. And Isabel, before we started recording, you said something interesting. You're like, well, we both understand Archive of Our Own as the superior mm-hmm. host site. Do you want me to go into that? I understand where people are coming from who say AO3 is the superior fanfiction hosting site. But I think there is something... Oh, of course. I'm not writing fanfiction.net off. Let's, let's be real. I didn't even discover Archive of of our own until three years ago. Fanfiction.net is where I published all of my own fanfiction. I'm not going to tell you. And I'm certainly not going to tell the internet. You will never tell me. I've asked you so many times. I have to be so much more drunk than I am right now to give you that information. Oh my God, I would die. I would love it so much. I'm sure you're brilliant. I love reading Maybe for Valentine's Day. I'll just send it to you in a Valentine. Oh, Uh, don't tease me. I'll probably do it. We're we're there now. Just not, not on air. Fanfiction.net, to be honest, is the is the more proletariat of the two. <laughs> what do you mean by proletariat? I think it's sites. like it's the much more capitalist. It's the much more like the archive of our own is like the scrappy underdog of the fanfiction hosting sites. I think archive of our own is the sophisticated older sister. It's I the sophisticated younger sister. Is like if you want <laughs> weird shit, here's the you thing: know where to go. And that's why that's why I fucking love, love fanfiction.net because here's the thing like, though: when you're just searching, it'll default to K through T which I don't like. It doesn't automatically default to all. And I also don't like the way its filters work. K is what? Kindergarten? Kids? um, And then all the way up to teen. So it goes like kids, G, PG... And then something, and then teen, and then M is mature. That's where your lemons live. And then like you can have even X. I guess yeah, they have X on fanfiction.net. So that's what they that's do. the ranking scale. So it defaults to K through T, which I find annoying because like I want the default to be all, which it used to be. I think they were worried about gentle. I think they were too. Like, like that's you. how I discovered it when it defaulted to all. <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean, <laughs> Elizabeth Swan. 
I love that you were searching for Elizabeth Swan and haven't had a same-sex experiment. There are no <laughs> women in Pirates of the Caribbean other than Elizabeth Swan. But she's a lot. Yeah, Karen she's Ailey a ton. big like, eyes. But, like, the people that she interacts with, all dudes. Yeah, they are true. all hunks. The hunks. Yeah, like, from... All around. But here's the thing, like, if you were Ooh. a confused teen, like, everybody gets away with enjoying Pirates of the Caribbean. Your traditional Becky, who liked Will and then had a little tingle for Jack Sparrow. Your serious weirdos like me, who went in big for Stellan Skarsgård as Will <laughs> Turner's father. The even weirder weirdos who went in for the dark and stormy Davy Jones. <laughs> And of course, those of us who had yep. same-sex predilections, you can't get it's much true. better I than mean, Kira Knightley. Not at all, man. It's a really good fandom. Yeah, it's true. Listeners, if you want us to talk about our favorite Pirates of the Caribbean fan fiction, I will go onto the IMDb <laughs> message boards and recover mine. All right, let's talk about let's talk about this mm-hmm. fan fiction on fanfiction.net. Disclaimer: Can where. Isipo first discovered uh, what disclaimer. This is the thing that I love about fan fiction too. They have disclaimers. Disclaimers. (laughs) I own nothing, as though we didn't already know. Anyone affiliated with the movie slash affiliated with the movie slash screenplay slash musical seventeen seventy six parentheses nineteen seventy two. I just like to make them my little mental actor puppets. Enjoy. (laughs) Parenthetical maps. They they made a little border out of the title of the film. This is a John Adams. Thomas Jefferson which makes total sense if you've ever seen the film frankly and uh, obvious yeah like actually all of these make total sense like part of you might be wondering like why is this musical from 1972 inspiring fan fiction in let's see what year was this one published 2014 and the answer is it is abundantly homoerotic and like the best way like there's velvet everyone's slightly sweaty there's candlelight everyone so fucking hot and sweaty and they're like yelling at each other but they're also like smiling in the corners of their eyes because they love sparring with their words and their dicks and their dicks Ugh. are their words. Ugh, they're just walking Ugh. around holding flowers sometimes for no discernible it is. reason. It's truly it's it's beautiful. Listeners, if you haven't seen 1776, God, put on an extra <laughs> pair of underwear and sit on a towel. Uh, John ran down the stairs before Thomas could walk away from him. You so, will write it, Mr. So, J. He's referring to the Declaration so, of Independence. He said coldly, his eyes boring into the back of his head. Suddenly, Thomas turned around and faced John. Who will make me, Mr. A? He asked somewhat defiantly, but with a hint of playfulness. I. Oh my God, I'm already. I was the single word that came out of John's mouth. You? Thomas took a step towards John. Yes. (laughs) Thomas stepped even closer to John. John took another step towards their bodies less than half a foot away from each other. Thomas crossed his arms smugly with a small smirk plastered on his face as he straightened up to his full height. John swallowed hard, looked into Thomas's face, and breathed as he attempted to discreetly back into the railing. But there was nowhere to run. Discreetly back into the railing is the most erotic phrase I've read all week. So what I love about this particular fanfic is that it is 
a hundred percent in the scene that this takes place in in the film. And like, so we're getting it here written in this like really intense prose in a scene that we're all very familiar with if you're familiar with the musical. And it's so fucking good. And it's like shot for shot, which is also what's great about this. I mean, really is what it is. It's just like, it's porn for 1776, not in the sense of like, you know, the erotic bodies on bodies, but also in the sense of like, if you love 1776, let me describe it for you shot for shot because I know you love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I tend to prefer this kind of fan fiction to Mm -hmm. alternate universe stuff because it's for people who like Mm -hmm. truly love the object and just wish there'd been more kissing. It's it's so delighting. Further down, Jefferson says, is your tantrum over? Because I'd like to kiss you now, said Jefferson, tilting Adam's head up by his chin and moving in slowly. John's eyes connected with the sea green reflecting down upon a sky blue, mixing and swirling with passion and a touch of madness that anyone in the First Continental Congress shared. Tom placed his hands around Adam's waist and drew him in even more. They were so close. They were sharing breath and a fast heartbeat. So sweet. I love that. Mm -hmm. It really is a sweet one. I love it too. And I love that they love each other. And like, that's one of the things about that particular song and the friendship that you see between Adams and Jefferson that is really true and carries them through up until um, George Washington's administration. Like they are truly friends on the same side of an incredible struggle and an incredible and terrible thing is happening to them. And they're at the tip of the spear of it together and they come from different places and they come from different angles and they have this really, really tempting tempestuous friendship and like this captures it in a way that like writes that Mm. tempestuousness as passion and I think that's right like you know it it isn't too far a stretch to say that these men loved each other in all the ways that you can love and hated each other too yeah I find in my life that I find those to be the most fulfilling relationships or the tempestuous ones or at least the ones that I'm most easily able to find yeah there's something about it especially like the effort that it takes to like master tempestuousness yeah, but also something about your like willingness yes. to exert that effort that at least assures me of the worthwhileness yeah, I think of that's the right. other person. I mean, it also like not to sound like a cliche, but like it also like feels like what it is to be alive. Yeah, yeah. I think that's For also sure. like why we like romances. Um, the most tempestuous relationships are the most looking worthwhile. At you, bud. Yeah, I found this to be a really um, a really satisfying fan fiction, even as someone who's not familiar with the with the original. Mm-hmm text with the original film uh, I found it to be I agree and I think that's one of the things about fan fiction and romance too where it's like you have license to be earnest and this is like a profoundly earnest little fic like I can't tell you how many times like the words like adoration and adore and, you know, admiration appear in, you know, something as short as 1400 words. It's like this is a particular kind of thing that loves its object, but also treats it seriously. And I think that's really just it's lovely. Yeah, yeah, it's a wonderful work. I would say as an object, 1776 tends to lend itself towards quality, thoughtful. I agree. I mean, like I'm clearly super biased. But also the thing that I was surprised and delighted by is that there's so much of it. I was like, 1776, there's so many people who are writing about it. Like it has like, it's not a ton. It's not like Star Wars or Harry Potter, but like 66 people wrote about it. I'm like, I fucking, it's so cute. 
I'm so glad. Does it make you feel like less alone? It, it makes me feel, it's like one of those moments where it's like, I understand that there's a potential community that I haven't found yet that is out there that likes something that I like. It's not that I, like, I felt alone in my love for 1776 because like I can love that shit alone all day long and like whatever, but it's also really good to know that I can share it with someone else. It's like, it's like a sense of, um, it's not unlike finding a Packers fan in Chicago where it's like you're just like in a sea of Bears fans and then you see somebody wearing the big G and you're like ah hey you you're recognizable to me in a way I didn't feel alone not seeing somebody in green and gold for you know months on end but it's like it's just it's affirming I don't know like an unlooked for affirmation and that's always nice an unlooked for affirmation it's such a beautiful way of putting it as usual okay so let's talk about our yep it's this one Oh, wow. (laughs) Our crown jewel. Mm -hmm. It is on AO3. It was published Mm -hmm. about a year ago. It has eight kudos. It has 207 hits. It is by Tiny underscore Robespierre. And the title of the story is Philadelphia is for lovers of something or something of that sort. Ellipses or something of that sort. Summary. John Adams is tired and hasn't had sex in six months. Richard Henry Lee has just gotten back from Virginia. You read that exactly right. That is exactly the tenor of this fan fiction. Notes. I like having the notes at the end. You know, I was thinking... Go ahead. What were you going to say? You're like, I want the notes at the beginning. Once again, once again, demonstrating that (laughs) I am the notes to your summary. You know, I was thinking of ending it with McNair walking in and just saying, sweet Jesus, with two S's and a Z, and walking out. very familiar with the show, you would know that... McNair is the clerk for the Continental Congress and his only catchphrase is so we Jesus and he says that about all sorts of things including uh, Ben Franklin's aphorisms I love you, America. I love you that the first clerk of the first Continental Congress had a catchphrase of, so what? I'm telling you, America's just, it's a cheese ball nation. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, cheese ball. I want to take a moment to talk about cheese Mm -hmm. ball because as soon as you first said that, it triggered something in me. Like the idea of a cheese ball, like who are the most famous cheese balls are going to be your your dad figures and like what makes a cheese ball a cheese ball like if a woman Mm -hmm. was being a cheese ball what would that look like a version of leslie no what would yeah but it's not it's like when a woman does it it's not cheese ball so much as like leslie nope is going to be like right and there's like that's the problem with like cheese ball and like i think perhaps femininity or like womanhood as we understand it it's like you can't be cheese ball and sarcastic about the things you cheese ball about, you're either entirely earnest or you're entirely sarcastic. Like I don't think a woman can be a cheese ball in the same way a man can be a cheese ball. And I think there's something about cheese ballness that implies hmm. absolute power, but also somehow takes the fangs out of it, although they're always still there because, you know, mm-hmm. like your dad is a cheese ball, mm-hmm. but he's still a patriarch. And I think in the same way, like America is a cheese ball, but it's An still the leader of the free world. Yeah, like you can, yep. like we'll wear jorts and eat cased <laughs> meats all day long as is our cheese ball want and say stuff like yeah, sweet I think, like, Jesus. 
but we will also completely destroy your yeah. country because we want the it's oil, like, you know, to be totally like not only to be totally about, it, about it, but, but also like in our current moment. And like, that's the thing I think, I think you're right. I think it is like, not only is it like an absolute power, but it's also sort of like, there's something about cheese ball that is linked inextricably to the idea that like you can have like a Tommy Laherne wearing the American flag as a bikini and have it as a towel that she wipes her ass on who is shouting down Colin Kaepernick for kneeling during the anthem. Like there's something there that's like the dark side of cheese ball. I think to be truly cheese ball. I think I think I would argue aware- that cheese ball oh, is a dark side. What? Yeah, I think I would argue that cheese ball is a, is a dark side to, you know, whenever Walter Benjamin was talking yeah. about kitsch. And like, what's the problem with kitsch? You know, not to go into that, but I think something similar could be said of cheese ball and that cheese ball is not just without intellectual consideration, but it is luxuriating in a lack of intellectualism and is benefiting in its lack of intellectualism through the destruction of other things. I agree, I think that's part of it. But I also think like the way in which our cheese ball figures figure large or the way like cheese ball is operating like with dads in particular or like other kind of like I don't want to say benign but like pseudo benign figures I don't think I don't think a benign cheese ball exists I think a cheese ball is always functioning to lift up a version of culture that is oppressive no and that is no intellectually oppressive okay well well could you give me an example of cheese ballness that is not intellectually oppressive that is not serving to support a kind of culture that's destructive of culture well these fanfics frankly are cheese ball and like they're cheese ball in a particular way that isn't hurting anybody and like sure it's not you know adding to the how are they how are they cheese ball (laughs) philadelphia is for lovers or something of that sort or like the idea that like you know the the course of love never did run smooth as an imagining i Say, no, like here, on. like hear I me out. Here's the thing that I think. Let me. I think it, there's like, this yeah, thing I'm about sorry, I'm sorry. Like I agree, there is a dark side. There is like this particular kind of way in which like it only operates if you have true and utter like control over a thing. So like nobody can tear you down about it. Like that's part of the way that cheese ball works. But also one of the ways in which cheese ball works is like the way in which that power can interact. And this is where I think like women can be cheese balls like unabashedly is like you get to call yourself a cheese ball and take the fangs out of the thing where you're like, I like the thing that I like. I know that it's complicated. I know that it's silly. I know that it's these things, but I like it anyway. And you're an asshole if you make me feel bad about it. And like, sure, you're an asshole if you make me feel bad about it. It certainly can have really terrible connotations and can have real consequences. But also there's something here about loving a rom-com like Notting Hill or like loving the way in which Hugh Grant interacts himself in film is sort of just like intrinsically cheeseball and like it's okay to like those things and be cheesebally about it and write fanfic if you want because like I don't think being cheeseball is all bad all the time I think there's something about it that is really as long as you like understand its dynamics and it's like 
spaces, it isn't just a destruction of culture and it isn't just like a way in which power can exert itself really terribly. It's also a way that says, I understand that one of the things that I like isn't intellectual or one of the things that I like is kind of cheesy or like one of the things that I like has problems, but I still like it. Like I like PBR and PBR is kind of cheese ball or Coors. Like Coors is cheese ball in the fact when they made the cans that um, turn blue so you know that they're cold and it's like they can't sell a beer that tastes good so they'll sell you a beer with a can that'll tell you it's cold like that's to me like cheese ball though is celebrating itself to the discomfort yeah I think like cheese ball is like I think cheese ball is something that makes other people uncomfortable and is asserting itself whereas like I don't think I think fan fiction you can't call it cheese ball because fan fiction exists in a world where you you seek it out to find it like you want to read fan fiction I don't think all cheese ball it is very rare that someone accidentally finds themselves in a world of fan fiction. And I also think sexual pleasure, which is often the mm-hmm. coin of the realm in fan fiction, is something you can't equate to to something like the Coors beer can turning blue because it is so deeply personal and it's an expression that is evolved based on your own personal, you know, sure. how human sexuality develops is so... I think there's a difference between okay. cheese ball and cheese cake. And I think fan fiction is cheesecake. Like you're self-indulging and also sharing that pleasure with others. Whereas I think if something is cheese ball, it's meant to be embarrassing and confrontational and awkward and and not a piece of culture that you want to share in. Maybe, but I also think that like one of the things that I think maybe we haven't talked enough about yet is that like cheese ball and cheesecake, which I like, first of all, like let's TM that because I think that's a really great distinction. They operate in a space and you're right in confrontation to something and I think some of the things that cheese ball shit and cheesecake things operate in opposition to is cynicism and bleakness and Mm, yeah I think maybe that is or just like this idea that like you know it's like the reason why I'm having trouble I'm almost all the way over with your argument here I'm like there but not quite because like I think there's something here about like especially teen girls and the way in which we dismiss things that we see as cheesy and I think that's like a dismissal of something that is earnest and that refuses to give in to cynicism pessimism or bleakness and like ultimately that's one of the reasons why I love the 4th of July because it is cheese ball and cheesecake like it has its dark side I totally get that but part of the thing that it says is like every year America gets a chance to try to do better it's like a birthday in the sense that like you take stock and you reevaluate and you understand that like the fundamental promise isn't a bad one and that it's okay to love that fundamental promise Mm. and to try to make it true in every way that you can and so maybe maybe cheese ball and cheesecake aren't mutually exclusive maybe they both fall under this umbrella of cheesy and whereas cheese ball is the groan cheesecake oh, is the groan. yes 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 does that feel yes. satisfactory yes. <laughs> have we have we come to an etymology of yes. cheese ball <laughs> I love it I love it so much I'm gonna cry I feel so good <laughs> so glad I feel like we collaborated it was so good oh my god I can't like it's so good (laughs) cheesecake for everyone always (laughs) oh my 
my God. Cheesecake. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Cheese balls are salty. Yeah. Sometimes you need a little bit of salt. I love it. That's so good. Oh my God. I'm so glad. I felt so immediately inspired whenever you said cheese ball. I was so excited <laughs> oh to my talk God. about yeah, it. It really so paid good. off. Okay. Um, let's talk about... Uh, Philadelphia's for lovers ellipses or something of that sort. So let's lay the scene. They've done it. Let's lay the scene. I'm laying the film scene. Um, so they've okay. signed the Declaration of Independence. It's been a huge okay. deal. They've done it. Done and it. John Adams <laughs> is sitting alone in the Continental Congress Hall in Philadelphia and he's marveling and he's emptied out entirely. Pun intended. Richard Henry Lee, and you'll remember <laughs> him from the first act because he's the one who had to introduce the... Uh, Declaration for Independence because John Adams had introduced it too many times and everyone would vote against him. So Richard Henry Lee has come back from Virginia Uh to congratulate John Adams on his great work. And they're sitting alone in the dark, unlit candlelight of this weird green velvet room. And Richard Henry Lee puts his hand on John Adams' thigh and says, you did it, Johnny. Mm -hmm. So to give you a sense of where this is headed, the tags for this additional tags are Leedams, mm-hmm. Leedams, Leedams. I guess that's like a cutesy name for mm-hmm. Richard Henry Lee. Blowjobs, mm-hmm. oral sex, smut, and then fluff. And here's where I have a problem. You can't have it both ways. You can't tag both I smut I and fluff. I 100% agree. I think that's like a faux pas of this particular fic. Yeah. Tacky. <laughs> T-A-C-K-Y. Tacky. For those of you who don't know, fluff is fan fiction that is flirty and fun, but not Right. And smut is, explicit. you should be familiar. And gang, I'm a little nervous to read this out loud because my parents listen to this podcast. But here we go. Adams panted as Richard removed oh his now God. flaccid penis from his mouth, a thick trail of saliva still connecting the two. He went to spit, but Adams managed to muster up what little strength he had and pressed a finger to Richard's swollen and sore wow. lips. Swallow for me, darling. I felt like I should go all the way to swallow for me. That's an oral oh sex God. book. I can't believe you just read that. <laughs> you did. I said it out loud. <laughs> I think that's one of the things about this particular fan fiction where it's like, you know, I've I've read many, many a blowjob scene in romance novels, fanfic, like all over the board, participated in a number as well. And like, you know, what do you mean you've participated in a number as well? You give head is the thing. Like, you know, as a partner, that's the thing that you do. Um, oh, okay, okay. I, I'm i still very excited to read your... Uh, yeah, my fan fiction. Anyway, the thing about fic. it is, it's like, for me, it's always been a really difficult act to read as particularly titillating. And this one does it, you know? It's like, it's slowly ah, boring. It does. You know, there's like all of this like weird hand on thigh rubbing and like the move to like unfasten the britches is slow and erotic. And like the actual like giving head itself is also kind of funny and just titillating. And it like, the scene that you just like read, I was just like, yeah. you know, like inherently I don't, I don't, find that like particularly hot but like it was hot the first time I read it yeah it really is it is titillating it gets you know and it's wild because I mean I'm I'm just a straight lady I should get nothing from this two dudes in 1776 two of our founding fathers 
Just making sure that, you know, they're taking care of each other is the thing. I know. John yeah. Adams hasn't had Thank sex God. in six months. Which we know from the historical record because Abigail Adams She lived like a nun in a cloister. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> she, she she did. That's really like did that's a quote it. from one of her letters. I live like a nun in a cloister. I hate it. I hate it. I bet Alexander Hamilton, who is now like such a national hero because of the mm, musical Hamilton, which is a true delight. But I think as a person, I think he would have been so irritated by John's relationship with Abigail. Oh, that it was like faithful and like full. Yeah, yeah. And like erotic and, and hot and heavy. And like everyone talked about how like weirdly hot and heavy John and Abigail were. Like there are letters from George Washington he, where he was like, I thought John was a square. <laughs> then I met his wife and I was like, whoa, who's yeah. this guy type thing, you know? It seems like the type of thing that Alexander Hamilton, given his personality type, would have yes. been resentful of because he was like a real because Alexander yes. Hamilton was like yes. a coxman you know what I mean like Martha Washington named uh, her tomcat after yeah him. that's true um <laughs> I know we've seen it they say in the musical but like I, I think it would have been like hard for him to see like something of of a fulfillment. I think it was hard drip. for all of them. Like there's this beautiful scene in um, 1776, the movie musical, when Thomas Jefferson says, "I can't do this thing. I can't write the Declaration of Independence. I have to go home and be with my wife. I like we just got married. I haven't seen her in three months." And Jefferson says, "I pine, Mister A." And then Adam says, "So do I, Mister J." And then. Every Everyone's like, you? And he's like, me. And they're like, you? And he's like, I'm only 41. I still have my virility and I frolic in Cupid's Grove with great agility. But like, we got to get shit done. And then I'm going to like go home and I'm going to swim the shit out of Abigail, my dearest friend. And we're going to live our lives together in happiness and bliss at Peacefield. As a balm for all of you who may have actually sought out <laughs> Richard Nixon's love letters after I recommend them. You should also seek I out agree. John and Abigail Adams. Those are some steamy letters. I've reread Eric Larson's mm-hmm. Devil in the White City and he was talking about Daniel Burnham's letters to his wife and he was like, for the era, they practically steamed open the mm-hmm. seals. And it's like, absolutely not. Like Abigail Adams and John Adams were mm-hmm. writing way hornier stuff, yeah. way hotter stuff to each other 120 some years yeah. earlier. So they just had a real affection for each other. And I think like one of the things that's so great about their letters is like they really knew who each other was like we talk about this in romance fiction a lot where it's like you have this like soul binding recognition between hero and heroine and I think that's one of the things that's like really enduring about the Adams marriage is that like they recognized each other appreciated what they had to bring to the marriage and like you know worked inside of that and I also think there's something really valuable about the articulation pen to paper of how you feel about someone else because I think you know we talked about this with Kim and I this episode won't be out by the time we release this episode mm-hmm. but I talked with my friend Sean and I was like you know how do you feel about these male protagonists these heroes speaking at length about how they feel about women in this expectation that they would have some kind of this level of art- mm-hmm. articulation about their affection and he was like oh well I think you should expect that just in different ways like different gestures but like no like people were writing down their feelings mm-hmm. and these hyper articulate ways yeah, for a really long time forever and I don't know I don't think it's unfair to expect 
something to be written. Like maybe writing at length is the key to like open up your feelings, you know? As silly as like a diary or a letter might feel in this day and age, I think maybe it has this greater value. cheesecake value? I think for sure cheesecake value. I think we're all the heroes and heroines of our own fan fiction, of our own lives, if we just articulated it to our partner. Like you're my OTP. You're my one true pairing. I want to express it to you in a way that would be understandable not only to you but to the masses so it's not just that I'm gonna remember to get you a Topo Chico (laughs) at the grocery store this one time (laughs) hashtag Texas I'm going to write it all out. I'm going to say it I think that's length. right. And I think that's one of the, th- I really want to thank you for indulging me about the 4th of July and like all of the angst that I've really been feeling about it this year. But also like to have this like real discussion about what it is that we're talking about, where it's like feelings are deeply important and deeply affecting. And like, it is really critical now, mm. perhaps more than ever, but I, I think that's like probably overstating it because it's always been important to tell the people that you love how mm. you love yeah. them specifically and like it's good to put it in writing and it's good to express it to its fullest extent that you can and have the capacity to do so and I think we're really letting ourselves off the hook in a lot of ways by like being like you know you know how I feel and I'm like I don't yeah exactly I do all of these things for you and it's it's not it's not the same and there's also something to be said for like expressing eroticism in a way that's not physical yes Yes. And I think more than that, there's something to be said to outside of your romantic relationships. Keep in mind that right. all relationships all of them are require relationships. this kind of work and maintenance. And like work and maintenance have like these bad connotations, but like work and maintenance also means that it is a priority to you. And like you should be moving in that direction. And I think like, yeah. you know, like that goes for our yeah. relationships with our friends and our parents and like our siblings and like the people that we love. But also like as citizens mm-hmm. of a nation state and as citizens of a globe, yeah, articulation and, you know, yep. voting is Calling your reps is an articulation. And calling your, yeah, and calling your representatives directly is a very literal articulation and every that you should be taking advantage of. Your relationship with your representative yep. is also a relationship. Anytime. You can end. Yeah, Never exactly. let them fucking forget. Oh, full circle. <laughs> All right. Well, this was just an absolute oh, pleasure I, as per usual. I love you so much. This This was... This was a true and joyous episode for me, and I'm so excited about it. <laughs> but we gotta do yeah. our we gotta do um, our side off. So <laughs> loosen your stays, but never your principles. Mwah. Thanks for listening. Mwah. Hey folks, it's Morgan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. Our logo is by Mary Reichman and our original music and editing is by Nick Gravelin. They're the best. Feeling woeful about waiting a whole week for more Womance? Well, chin up, buttercup. You can creep or connect with us anytime on Twitter. We're at woe underscore mance or Instagram, Womance, all one word. You can also find us on Tumblr at womance.tumblr.com. If you prefer to be more direct... Why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear from you. And don't forget to tune in next week.